Morning, church. Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. You may follow along on your Bibles, on your phones, or on the big screen. Hear now the word of God. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Amen. Thanks, Dave. Good morning, everybody. My name is Key. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, this church, New Mercy Palisades Church. Uh, before I get into the sermon, I uh, just want to highlight or uh, mention something. So uh, a brother and sister in our church, a married couple, their name is Julia and Insu. They actually sponsored our fellowship food for today uh, because this is their last Sunday here with us. They're uh, moving to Dallas uh, against our better advisement. Um, it is Dallas, right? Are they here? Yes. Okay, thank you, thank you. Uh, so, but they generously uh, off, uh, gave us uh, our fellowship food for today. So please stick around after service, uh, and when you see them, please say uh, you know, goodbye, and also please thank them for, for their generous uh, donation today. Okay. Uh, I don't know where they are, but I think they might be getting the food. Um, also, just one other thing is uh, the members meeting. We need quorum today, uh, which is super majority. So if, if you're a member, please do stick around for that members meeting. Otherwise, the vote itself would not be valid. So please, it's very important uh, that we get this vote passed. Okay, so um, last week we started a, a new sermon series that we're calling Listening for God. Right? And, and basically, uh, in that introductory sermon I gave last week, what I did was I just spent most of my time laying the groundwork uh, for, for the rest of the series. Now, if you weren't here last week, uh, like a good number of people uh, because of the holiday weekend, uh, the series is just basically about hearing God. Right? It's about discerning God's voice in our lives and, and why that's important and how we're supposed to go about doing that. Unfortunately, I, I, can't, I just can't rehash everything I said in that sermon, otherwise my sermons are just going to keep getting, getting longer and longer, which I don't think anybody wants, right? So I encourage you guys to go back and to try to listen to it on our podcast. If you have any podcast app, just search New Mercy Community Church. The sermons will come up and you'll be able to see the title of the sermon uh, in, in, your, in your feed. Uh, the material I covered in that sermon is actually very important. Uh, if you want to maximize your understanding of this topic. So I really encourage you guys, you know, if you're commuting or, or if you have time, uh, to try to listen to it if you can. You know, to be completely honest, um, this particular series uh, has felt pretty burdensome 
uh, to me. Uh, I, I shared, I actually shared this with our worship team last week before, uh, before we, you know, we had a prayer meeting right before service and I shared it with them and I, I asked them to pray for me because uh, I've just been feeling a lot of stress about this series. I mean, you know, every sermon at the end of the day is important because I'm basically expounding the word of God each time and, and so there's always some level of gravitas when I'm preparing any sermon, but this particular series has felt especially uh, weighty to me. And I, I believe one of the reasons it's felt that way is because this topic is uh, one that has led to a lot of confusion uh, in people's lives. And, and I don't want to add to that confusion. In fact, uh, what I want to do is the exact opposite, right? One of my main goals in the series is actually to try to bring some sort of clarity uh, to this topic because I, I, I really believe hearing God rightly is very important for having a healthy relationship with him. And so because it's so important and because of the history of this topic and because, you know, I want to do justice to it, I've been feeling a, a lot of trepidation uh, as I've uh, been preparing these talks. This is just my way of saying to you, the stuff that I'm going to be talking about in this series, it really is important uh, for your Christian walk, okay? And, and so I hope that you guys really take it in as we, as we go through the material. And I hope, I really hope that you start feeling some excitement about hearing God. Because let me tell you something, hearing God, it really is the source of profound joy uh, in the Christian life. Uh, and it will prove to be a real wellspring of faith in your life if you learn how to do it regularly in your life. Okay, so let me go on. If you've uh, lived life and if you've given it any sort of thought over the decades that you've been alive, uh, one thing that you've probably come to know is that words are important, right? Everyone knows that silly play, playground rhyme, right? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we all know that's complete nonsense, right? Uh, in fact, the reason kids even say this rhyme is because words hurt so much, okay? It's a defense mechanism. Oh, you can't hurt me with your words. But the reason we say that is because those words they've said are in fact hurting us, okay? Their words have provoked a response from us because of the impact that they've had on us. You know, when I think about that, that children's line, you know, it seems very s silly, but it actually makes me really sad. You know, when I uh, look back in my life uh, at all the hurtful words and, and the racist words that were uh, thrown at me as a kid, those words really diminished me in profound ways. And sometimes they felt so bad that I felt crushed by them. And, and when I think about how those words the words that other people said impacted my inner dialogue, you know, the words I said to myself. Uh, and when I think about all these children who've had their lives literally devastated because of hurtful words from people in their lives, from peers, from parents, and so on, it's really sad. Okay? But it's also a sobering reminder of the power and importance of words and why we need to be so careful with them. I don't think we're careful with our words, a lot of us. Okay? But they're so powerful just from what I said, right? Words have power, okay? People, people's words spoken to, uh, spoken to us, they really do form us, right? And, and they shape us in profound ways that affect our personality, our outlook on life, our, our life trajectory, and so on. We human beings, we literally thrive on the words from the people in our lives. We need those words. We seek them out. You know, as much as we think, you know, who cares what people say, deep down inside... We care. 
People's words matter to us, and they have power in our lives. Now, yes, certainly, you know, we can be selective about uh, whose words we let into our lives and, and whose words uh, we allow to shape us. You know, there are healthy boundaries that as we grow up that we can learn to draw, but that only proves all the more how important and powerful words are. Because they have so much weight and impact in our lives, that's why we need to select all the more carefully who we are going to listen to and allow to speak into our lives. And that's one reason why we need to hear more of what God is saying in our lives. However, as true as all that is, right, that understanding of the power of words, it actually barely scratches the surface of what words are capable of. Okay, the power that words have in our lives and actually in our universe goes way beyond what I just described. So um, one of the reasons why uh, a lot of modern people don't fully grasp the dynamic power of words is because most of us see words merely as a means of communicating information, right? We use words descriptively and declaratively and so on. But over the past few decades, thinkers in, in modern linguistics and the philosophy of language, they've demonstrated that words are much more than just a means of communication. And to show this, they've developed what's called the speech act theory, okay? Speech act, A-C-T, okay? The speech act theory. Basically what this theory says is that the words, uh, that is, is that words do not only present information, they actually do things, words, okay? They perform and they accomplish actions. So for example, with the power that is uh, vested in me by, by the church, when I say the words, I now declare you as husband and wife, I now declare you husband and wife, the action of that couple becoming a husband and wife has actually happened. With my words, I have profoundly affected in a concrete way the relationship between two individuals as well as their relationship to God and to the world around them, okay? That's speech act. Another example would be when I apologize to someone, okay? Through a sincere apology with my words, I have done an action that can affect the status of my relationship with that person, okay? And that's also a speech act. Or, or if I tell my son that, that I'm proud of him for having worked so hard this year uh, on something, or if I tell my daughter that I love her, or if, or if I tell someone in the church that, I, that I'm encouraged by their faithfulness, all those words are speech acts. By those words, I, I, I can encourage those people and impact their thoughts and even their lives. And so those words have accomplished something. They're speech acts, okay? And depending on the position of the person speaking, these speech acts, right, their power and impact can increase exponentially. So for example, when a king, right, or, or a president of a nation speaks or, or tweets, right, which is what we do now, right, Economies all over the world can be affected, right? When President Trump tweets, you see what happens to the stock market sometimes, right? When a president speaks, wars can break out. A nation's entire culture and mindset can change. I mean, any number of far-reaching things can happen when a person in position of incredible power speaks, right? That's the power of speech act. Now, as much as modern theorists might like to take credit for thinking of the concept of speech act, that idea is actually something the Bible has been teaching 
for multiple millennia. You actually see it on page one of the book of Genesis. Over and over in chapter one uh, of Genesis, what do you read? What do you read in that chapter? You read, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let there be animals, and fish, and plants. And then there were those things. What is that? That speech act. Through speaking, God creates. God utters something, and it happens. Now, of course, you know, as I said in the past, Genesis 1 is a psalm. Right? It's not a literal, mechanistic, step-by-step account of how God made the universe. It's essentially a praise psalm. Right? But it is literal in that it gives praise to a literal God for creating a literal universe. Okay? But what is also literal in Genesis 1 is the idea of God creating through his speech. You know, as much as that might seem like a metaphor when you read it, when you read the rest of the Bible, you see that it's actually not used as a metaphor. It's not a metaphor. In fact, the ability to act through speech is considered one of the most fundamental attributes of God. God, by his very words, by the very words emanating from his mind, causes things to be. And this is taught all over the Bible. Isaiah 55, 11, this is what it says, if we can throw the first slide up there. My word goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish. Hear that? Will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Okay, in Hebrews 1.3, it says this. If you can throw the next slide. It says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Okay, and in today's text, right, Jesus, what does he do? He says the word. And what happens? The centurion's servant is healed. Now, this is obviously a speech act that is orders of magnitude above anything human speech, human speech can accomplish. Right? When humans speak, we mostly affect social realities. Right? There's a couple exceptions to that, you know, which I'll get into in a second. But human speech act, for the most part, requires there to be listeners who are affected by what we say, even if the listener is just yourself. But in God's case, he doesn't need listeners, okay? Because all of reality itself, down to its very bottom, is affected by his speech. You know, if we think back to the verse that I mentioned from Hebrews, it doesn't say everything is sustained by his powerful hand or by his power. It says everything is sustained by what? By his powerful word. Basically, what the Bible teaches about reality is that all of creation, its atoms, its quantum fluctuations, the very fabric of the universe itself, all of that is brought into existence and is maintained by the words and by the thoughts of God. Now, this is hard for us to relate to because when we speak, nothing even remotely like that happens, right? If you use your mind and your words to tell a spoon, a metal spoon to bend, like in the matrix, it will not bend. I've tried it, it doesn't work, okay? If you try to speak something into existence, right? I want a million dollars, right? You're gonna fail, right? So, so we have a very hard time believing that God can accomplish things and create things simply by using his words because it's outside of our experience, right? But there is a way we can kind of get a sense uh, what it is like for God. And let me just kind of talk about that for a second. You know, when I'm uh, making a pizza, right, what's going on? 
What's going on when I'm making a pizza? Basically, what's happening is I'm taking a recipe in my head, right? And I'm executing that recipe using my hands and some ingredients. Okay, now, what is that recipe that's in my head? It's a set of instructions, right? It's basically just thoughts and words and ideas that I have in my head, and using my hands, I'm bringing those thoughts and words and ideas into reality. Now, of course, I'm not, just, I'm not creating the pizza out of thin air using my thoughts. I, you know, I have to use already existing ingredients, and I have to use my hands. But if you think about it, at the end of the day, it's the plan in my head that ultimately brings about that pizza. Without my thoughts, that pizza would not exist. Okay? So at the very bottom of that pizza I made for you is what? It's a recipe, which is what? A set of instructions, a collection of words and ideas. Again, that's not anywhere near speaking something into existence, but it does establish something very important. Okay? What it establishes is, in the human, wor in, in the human world, right, it is words and thoughts that are ultimately at the bottom of everything. All of our inventions, all of our theories, all of our culture, okay? It's all an expression of and the result of words and thoughts. Without words and thoughts, none of those things would exist. Now, if you add to this just one more thing, then you'll begin to get a little bit of a sense of what it's like for God. There is one area in life where our thoughts actually do immediately bring about an effect, and that is in our bodies, right? When I think, lift my right hand, right? My physical body automatically responds to that thought. There is no intermediate steps that I have to go through. Now, it's not the perfect analogy because technically my thoughts have to trigger nerves to cause my muscles to do what I'm thinking, uh, and in some instances, sadly, there can be a breakdown in any of those systems so that my body does not do what I say in my mind. But besides those exceptions, right, I think you get the general idea of what I'm saying, right? God has a power, has, God has power such that reality responds to his thoughts like our muscles responds to our thoughts. That's ultimately like what it's like for God. Now, that doesn't get you all the way there, but you're getting a sense of what it's like for God and how reality responds to his thoughts. Now, let me bring all this together for you. So there's a place in the Gospels uh, where the disciples and Jesus, they're, they're in a boat, right, and they get caught in a terrible storm, right? And the storm was so bad that, that some of the disciples who are very experienced fishermen, they're freaking out. And so what they do uh, is they wake up Jesus, who is sleeping in the stern, okay, because they don't know what else to do, right? <laughs> what are we going to do? Let's, let's, maybe he has the answer. Well, if you read the, in the Gospel of Mark, this is what happened next. If we can throw that slide up there. I can't tell if the slides. Okay, great. Thank you. This is how the account of Mark continues. He got up, Jesus, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, notice the disciples are actually more terrified after Jesus calms the storm. Now, why are they so afraid? Because in Jesus, they have confronted someone who has authority over even nature. And in their belief system, there is only one being who has that ability. Now, what's the point that I'm making? 
The point is, if you look at the story, Jesus uses what to control nature? He uses words. Words from his mouth that originate from his mind. The elements of the universe respond to God's words and thoughts automatically, like muscles in our bodies. That simply is the reality and the power of God. He is a being of such immense power, of such category beyond us, that simply by using words, he can form and shape reality. Now, it's hard for us to imagine, but when you look at Jesus, this is exactly how he operates. He utters words, and things change. So when you put it all together, what you see is that our universe, its origin and its continued existence and its transformation, all of that is the result of words and thoughts from God. At the most basic level, right, the material universe is a product of mind and idea. And that means the reality at the bottom of everything, the most fundamental reality in the universe is word. And this is why Jesus says in the Gospels, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. More fundamental to reality than material is word. Now, atheists naturally will, will disagree with me, uh, but, but when, when I look at our universe, okay, I clearly see a mind at work. You know, the more I study science, including things like theoretical physics and cosmology and molecular biology, especially quantum mechanics. There's this thing, it's very tantalizing. You know, I don't want to make too much of current science, but when you look at quantum mechanics, it's almost impossible to, to take the idea of mind and consciousness out of the, our understanding of the, the basic functions of the universe. Okay? And the more I study history and the action of God uh, among people of faith, there are, there are when I look at all this, there are times I walk away from what I read literally terrified. Okay, because sometimes it feels like I'm gazing into the mind of a being, infinite orders of magnitude above mine. The, 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 the wonder and, and the beauty and the intelligence that I see in the universe, every day that I'm alive, it makes me marvel. It really does. It really makes me marvel. You can talk to my wife. I'm always talking about this stuff. Okay? When I see the universe operating in such a way that human minds can understand it and describe it, and we can distill it into natural laws and mathematics. If you take a moment to think about that, that's amazing. You know, Einstein, Albert Einstein once said this. He said, the most incomprehensible thing about the, about the world, he's talking about the universe, the most incomprehensible thing about the world is that it is comprehensible. He said that. And he said that because it really does boggle the mind that the physical properties and the forces of the universe are rationally detectable and expressible and that they are so orderly that they can be analyzed and boiled down into incredibly beautiful mathematics. That is amazing. And when I look at the most elemental forces in our universe, it's unbelievable, right? The intricate fine-tuning that's required for those forces, uh, of those forces, so that atoms and planets and minds and consciences could exist. Francis Collins, right, he's a geneticist who, who actually helmed the Human Genome Project and he's the current director of the NIH. This is what he says, we can throw the next slide up there. He says, when you look from the perspective of the scientists at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. There are 15 constants, the gravitational constant, various constants about the strong and weak nuclear forces, et cetera, that have precise values. If any one of those constants was off 
by even one part in a million, or in some cases by one part in a million million, the universe could not have actually come to a point where we see it. Matter would not have been able to coalesce. There would have been no galaxies, stars, planets, or people. See, our universe, as our universe was forming through the Big Bang, those physical constants settled at those values just in such a way that life in our universe could happen. You know, those constants could have fallen at any, any, of, any value, but they fell at just the right values that life could happen in our universe. That fact has, in fact, made some of the best scientists stop dead in their tracks. And they say, how in the world did that happen? In fact, some of the most thoughtful scientists and philosophers even go so far as to say, for them, the most compelling explanation is that a super intelligence is behind the coordination of those values. One scientist is like, dude, it's like when I look at this, it's like some dude is monkeying around with these values to make it like this. Also, when I look at how human beings, right, use their brains to ponder morality, right, and philosophy, and spirituality, and to create things like art, and music and poetry, things far beyond what is needed for survival and for the advancement of our species. Be behind all of that, I see a mind. Not just our minds, but behind our minds, I see a mind making all of this so that those things can happen. You know, when I read the words of Jesus, right, words that have penetrated and filled and transformed the hearts of people around the world, across all cultures and throughout history, when I witness the gospel, bring about such profound life change in people that it elicits hope and love and worship and even the development of what we call human rights, which literally changed and continues to affect the course of human history. You know, human rights today, we take advantage, you know, we kind of, we're used to it. We're like, human rights, human rights, that's common sense, right? Human rights actually traces back philosophically to Christianity. No other philosophy prior to Christianity talked about the ultimate value of human lives. But Christianity does, and that's where the philosophy of human rights goes back to, okay? So the wisdom, right, and the insight of Jesus makes me marvel because when I read it, it's timeless. Jesus speaks with the mind of a creator, of someone who knows how morality and reality operates. Where did this guy come from? When I look at how biological life propagates, Right? Some of you know this. Biological, biological life propagates through a complex molecular language called DNA, which can be understood, decoded, and resequenced to produce all the mind-boggling diversity of life that we see before us. And this molecular language is coordinated and managed by an army of fantastically precise molecular machines, machines that make human technology look like child's play. And when I look at that, I see a mind at work. And then finally, when I see and hear about inexplicable miracles from people in my life in the context of prayer, people who get healed, tumors disappearing, people hearing God's voice, right, and what is revealed by that voice coming to pass in the future in their lives, people who are demonically oppressed being thrown across a room during an exorcism with no physical force exerted on them and so on. Behind all of that, everything that I just listed, I see that there is a mind and an intelligence and an incredible personal power undergirding our universe and our reality. Now, some of the stuff people have tried to explain away, and I'm, I'm very aware of many of the arguments, okay? But when you take all of this stuff together, for me, 
It is almost impossible to walk away not seeing a mind at work at the bottom of our universe. You know, in Romans 1.20, Paul writes this. I don't have a slide for this, but just listen. He says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. God's fingerprints are everywhere. We see his mind and his ideas and his words on display all around us. Okay, so at the bottom of existence are the mind, the thoughts, and the words of God. Okay, and those words, as we learned, okay, have reality creating and reality shaping and reality transforming power. I mean, talk about powerful words. And that, my friends, is why we need more of God's words in our lives. If God's words are, in fact, what's behind reality, it only makes sense that we should seek them because they truly are, in the most literal possible way, the original source of truth in life. This is why Jesus says in Matthew, what does he say? He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's saying even more basic to life than bread is God's word because without God's words and thoughts in mind, the very bread that we eat, even life itself, would simply not exist. But Jesus also says that because his words have the power to recreate our lives from the brokenness of sin. God's words can recreate our lives in ways that bread simply cannot. And this is why Paul, the Apostle Paul, calls us what in 1 Corinthians? He calls us new creations. The power of the word of God in Jesus Christ literally recreates us from the inside out. Okay, if we want change lives, we need more of God's word working in our lives. More than we realize, God's words form the substrate upon which our universe and our lives are built. God's words are literally the most fundamental substance of life. Through them, our lives are created and recreated. If that's true, that proves all the more why we should be seeking his words in our life. You know, if you look at the centurion in uh, today's text, he actually came from a world where he was well acquainted with the idea of words causing actions, right? As a centurion, if you read the text, his words had authority, right? And when he spoke, things happened, okay? And when he saw Jesus working, when this centurion saw Jesus working, because he probably, you know, had been watching him from some time now, for some time now, this is exactly what he see Jesus doing. Jesus, you know, if you look, look at him in the Gospels, right? Jesus doesn't use incantations or spells, he doesn't do any like, okay, and then things happen, right? He doesn't do any of that stuff, right? He just gives orders with his mouth. He simply spoke and people were healed. Reality responded to his words. And when the centurion sees this, he immediately recognizes what's going on. Jesus' words themselves had authority. It was the authority of Jesus' words that brought about change. And when the centurion realizes this and he sees his servant dying, he knows he needs those authoritative words of Jesus spoken into his life because he sees a power behind them. See, the centurion realized what so many, so many people fail to see. 
Okay, and this is why Jesus was astonished. Okay, no one that Jesus met before the centurion truly recognized the kind of authority that Jesus had. In fact, I would say many of us today, we still fail to see what the centurion saw. We still don't truly understand or appreciate the power and authority of Jesus' words. And this is why many of us haven't been seeking his words like the treasure and the lifeline that they are. Brothers and sisters, if you want the fullness of life, if you want change, if you want to know who you are and what God wants you to be, the only place you're going to find those things is through God's words. Jesus says to his disciples in the Gospel of John, the words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. The words I have spoken to you, they are life. Now, one more thing before I show you just some quick ways for how, how, how to get more of God's words working in, in, in your life. Before I get to that list, let me just say one more thing. Of all of creation, it is only hum humanity that was made in the image of God. We are not just matter, okay? We are persons. That means God has given us the self-determination and the will to choose to respond to his words, okay? We're not just matter that automatically responds to the words of God like robots. He doesn't want that, okay? We are given a choice to let God's words into our lives and to act in our lives. He won't control us. God won't do that. He won't control us, and he won't force himself upon us, okay? We have to want him. This is what you see in the Bible, okay? And he made us this way because he wants to be in relationship with us. So what this means is you have a choice, See, his words are not automatically going to do stuff in your life, okay? There are plenty of people who read the Bible to no effect. If you want to see the words of God change you and recreate you, you have to let the words in. We have to appropriate God's words for them to give us life. We, we can't just read them, okay? We have to let them into our hearts and into our minds. That's when they will shape us and form us and remake us. Okay. So, so what are some ways we can get more of God's powerful words into our lives? Okay, I'll do this quickly. Psalm 19 says this. If you can throw the next slide up there. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. One of the ways that we get God's word into our lives is actually through the appreciation of creation, of what is around us, like what Paul said in Romans. Okay, next slide. Can we throw the next slide up there? This is what Dallas Willard said. Uh, I remember last week, da Dallas Willard's book is, uh, is the book that most of the series is based on. This is what he says. What we call natural laws, then, must be regarded as God's thoughts and intentions as to how the world should run. Because of this, the Christian philosopher said long ago, God himself speaks every day in, and in every place to the eyes of all men. The events in the visible material world, the unfolding of a rosebud, the germination of a seed, the conception and growth of a child, the evolution of galaxies, constitute a visible language. Okay? This is what I was referring to before when I went through that long list that you guys thought was never going to end. Right? This is what I was referring to. Okay? When I look at a beautiful sunset, right? or when I study some mind-bending physics, or when I play with a dog, I love dogs, right? What I find is that those moments, oftentimes what they do is they stir in me a real longing for God. And I feel this inexplicable nostalgia. 
Something about the beauty I see evokes in me a wonder, and I want more of it. And this often, this feeling often leads me to a deeper worship, even in the moment. You know, I, have to, I don't have to be singing praise songs to be worshiping. When I'm reading a book about theoretical physics, I'm like, oh my God, I feel worship coming up, right? And it leads me into a deeper sense of God's greatness. Okay? And, and when that happens, it humbles me. And at the same time, it evokes praise from deep within me. That's God's word written in nature that I'm letting in. And it has an effect on me. Now, in order for you to be able to let God's words in, right, or these types of words in, you have to slow down. You know, we, we walk past amazing and beautiful things every moment of, moment of our lives, right? These are all moments where you can experience the word of God in your life, but you're too busy to let them in. This is actually why the practice, practice of Sabbath is important, where you, where you stop working, slow down. Okay, instead of looking at, at your phone while you walk, I, I mean, I do this sometimes, I almost get killed, but wait, instead of, you know, looking at your phone while you're, you know, out in the park or something, right, uh, or when you're outside, look around. Even, just, even if there's no beautiful nature, just look at people. I mean, people are amazing when you think about it, right? And let, when you, when you do that, it takes, slow down and let that amazing display that you see soak into you and ponder and contemplate and give thanks Okay, and the wonder that you feel will deepen your experience of God in your life. It will. Okay, here's another way we can let God's word into our lives. So in the Gospel of John, it says that Jesus is God's word become flesh. Okay, right in the first chapter. Jesus is God's word become flesh. I can speak at length about that some other time. But for our purposes today, what that means is through Jesus, we are experiencing the word of God in a direct and personal way through Jesus. Okay? Nature is great, okay, but it only goes so far, okay? We have to remember that God is a person, and to understand and to experience that personal side of God, it requires a personal manifestation of his word, and that's Jesus. Remember Hebrews 1.3, it says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus is the embodiment of God's self-expression, you want to know God's thoughts, you want to know his heart, his feelings, his motivations, his desires. Jesus himself is those things expressed in the flesh. Jesus, his thoughts, his feelings, his teachings, his actions, his person himself, all of that collectively is a perfect self-communication of God himself to us. Through Jesus, people get to see and experience firsthand the deepest and most intimate truths about God. Gail O'Day, she's a great scholar. This is what she says about Jesus. She says, the incarnation means that human beings can see, hear, and know God in ways never before possible. The relationship between divine and human is transformed because in the incarnation, human beings are given intimate, palpable, corporal access to the cosmic reality of God. Okay, and what we have in the Bible, right? What we have in the Bible is access to a written record of this Jesus. Right? The words of the Bible testify to the word made flesh. And if you let those words in, you will hear God and see God in some of the most powerful, life-changing ways. I personally, you know, for all the stories I sh I've shared with you guys during my sermons, I personally have encountered God and his mind and his person through Jesus on the pages of Scripture far more than anywhere else. Far more. Now, I know for a lot of you, you know, reading scripture is a very dull experience, right? But like I said in the past, 
Don't start with Genesis, okay? Don't start with the parts that are hard for you, okay? Start, I know you're like, okay, I gotta start with the hard things. No, don't start with the hard stuff. Start with the stories of Jesus. Meditate on the gospel stories of Jesus. Soak them in and don't just read them. And what I mean by that is when you read a story about Jesus, say, you know, forgiving a woman caught in adultery and he writes on the ground and things like that. Instead of just reading that, imagine yourself being there. Just, it only takes five minutes. For me, it only takes five minutes. I I'm just imagine that story, and then I see things I didn't see before, and I see Jesus like I've never seen before, and he comes alive to me. Okay, David Benner actually does this, and this is what he says, if you can throw the next slide up there. He says, spending time with Jesus in gospel meditation has begun to put flesh on the God I have been seeking to know for so many years. As Jesus has begun to become more human and real to me, the invisible God of whom he is the image has become more accessible. And what you're gonna find is that as you start to attune yourself to the person of Jesus, right? As you start to attune yourself to his words, his personality, his values, his love. When you do that, you're going to start to hear him more when you read the other parts of scripture. Because Jesus is going to, will become your interpretive lens. And when this happens, what I found is that a lot of the other parts of scripture often come alive. So if you get yourself focused and attuned on Jesus and you start taking that to the rest of scripture, the rest of scripture actually comes alive. So when I read the story of David and Goliath, right, it's no longer just a moral story about courage. I'm no longer like, oh, I have to be like David. I'm like, I don't know if I could do that, right? It's like demoralizing, right? But when I read the story of David and Goliath, it becomes a story about Jesus being my David, my defender, and then that giving me courage to live life. When I read the prophets, I see Jesus' concern for justice written all over the pages. When I read about the tabernacle and how Jesus made us his tabernacle, that he dwells inside of us, that's amazing. When I read genealogies, you know, oftentimes you look at genealogies, like, okay, skip that, right? When I read genealogies, I look at some of the names like Rahab and all these people what I see is that they're sinners, and they're included in the heritage of Jesus Christ. And I, see, and I see that even in the lineage, God was expansive and merciful and inclusive in his love. When I read the list of laws and instructions in the Bible in Deuteronomy, right, I'm like, thank God Jesus did what he did so I don't have to do any of that stuff or worry about that stuff. See, when you take Jesus and you bring it and you get to know him and you bring it to the rest of scripture, this is what happens. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, after Jesus resurrects, he's walking along the road with two disciples, right? This is what Luke says at one point in their walk. Uh, he says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And at the end of that encounter, the two disciples say to themselves, after Jesus goes away, away from them, he, they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. Okay, if you meditate on Jesus and get him in your heart and you take that to the rest of the Bible, you will find them slowly burning their way into your heart. Okay, and when this happens, you will see God's word recreating your heart. The next slide, Hebrews 4.2, just shows the 
the life and the dynamism of God's word. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And by judges, it doesn't mean he's like condemning your thoughts and minds. No, he's looking at your thoughts and he's working with you and he's evaluating them and, he's, and he wants to get them transformed into the mind of Christ. That's what that means. Uh, Dallas Willard, he has something good to say about this. If you can throw the next slide. He says this. The, the Bible has its own special and irreplaceable role in the history of redemption. We can refer any person to it with the assurance that if he or she will approach it openly, honestly, intelligently, and persistently, and I would add with humility, God will meet him or her through its pages and, and speak peace to his or her soul. Now, lastly... As you get to know Jesus through scripture, if you take the time to listen in your life, what's going to happen is you're going to start recognizing his voice when he addresses you personally in ways I described last week, like in prayer or through other people or in your heart or through some voice or whatever. When you start to see Jesus in scripture and you really start understanding him and seeing him and you know, seeing who he is, you're going to start recognizing, recognizing him when you see him speaking in your life in other ways. There's uh, so old voice recognition technology, like the old version, right? The way you would get that program to recognize your voice is you'd have to give it a lot of samples of your voice, right? As, as you gave it more and more samples of your voice, slowly but surely, it would start to recognize you when you would say other things that you didn't say before to, to that software. Well, it's similar for us, okay? As we hear Jesus on the pages of Scripture we will begin to assimilate that and we will begin to recognize him when he speaks to us directly in other ways. You know, the Bible, what it does is it paints for us a detailed picture of God's personality and voice, okay? And when you, uh, when you take this with you, right, it will help you to recognize him when he speaks elsewhere in your life, okay? Dallas Willard says the Bible fixes the boundaries of God's truth and his personality in the principles, okay? And it's those principles that we use to test what we hear to see if it's from God. Now, I need to be careful here, okay? A lot of people, that was scary. Uh, a lot of people um, take this too far and they're like, you know, I'm done with the Bible. I just want to hear God speak to me all the time, right? Look, no. It's not that scripture is just a template and we use it to get something greater. No, Scripture is the main source of God's truth in our lives, okay? The personal words from God in our lives are powerful and necessary, but they anchor themselves on the revelation of God in Scripture. And this is the last quote. Can you throw it up there? Last slide. This is what Dallas Willard says. It cannot be stressed too much that the permanent address at which the Word of God may be found is the Bible. As Frederick B. Meyer says, the written word is a wire along which the voice of God will certainly come to you if the heart is hushed and the attention is fixed. Okay, more on hearing God next week. So let's bow our heads in prayer if we can have the praise team come up. So, you know, I went through pretty dense material today, I know, but uh, hopefully it was understandable to you guys. Um, if you want to be able to discern God's voice more in your life, if you want to be able to see and understand the power of God's word and you just haven't had that experience, you haven't really fully grasped it or understood it, why don't we take a time, a couple minutes right now, just to ask God, God, my goodness, I see that your words are indeed life. 
more than bread, I need your words. Father, help build that longing inside of me for your words. And Lord, speak into my life so that I will see those words recreating me from the inside out. Okay, so some of you, maybe that's a longing that you have. Let's take a couple of minutes just to ask him for that reality to be happening in our lives. And others of you, you know, I don't know how, uh, I, I never know how sermons are going to impact people. The Holy Spirit always does weird stuff with it. But however you feel the Holy Spirit was speaking to you, let's just take a couple of moments and just respond to God and let's talk to him and ask him to be speaking and working in our lives. Okay, let us pray.